welcome to the Misophonia Podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 5. My name's Adil Ahmad, and I have Misophonia. This week, I have probably my furthest ever guest. Michael is down in New Zealand, where he lives in a place with, I think, about seven other people. This one's really interesting because though Michael definitely deals with misophonia regularly with all the usual tools, he's also trying to consciously not run away immediately from the trigger, kind of trying to face it head on as much as possible to maybe build some resistance. It reminds me of the debate that goes on around exposure therapy, and we hear Michael's take on that. I want to make a pretty big announcement, and that is that I now have a Patreon account this will always be a 100% free podcast, of course, but if you would like to support the show and get lots of freebies from me, please check it out at patreon.com slash misophoniapodcast. Link in the show notes. You can support at whatever level you want, down to $3 a month, and for all levels, I'll give you a shout out on the show, and higher levels, uh, you'll get cool stuff like t-shirts, mugs, even some one-on-one off-the-record chats with me to see if I can be of any help. You can find out more at patreon.com slash misophoniapodcast. Now, as I wrote in the description on the Patreon, this isn't just for me to pay for hosting or, or try to get compensated for the podcast. Like, it doesn't cost that much money to host this podcast. And, um, you know, doing it, I have no problems volunteering. What I want to do, though, is get transcripts, accurate transcripts of the podcast so that more people who maybe don't want to hear voices can connect with the podcast by reading the transcripts. Also, researchers can then use the podcast through the transcripts to maybe include in their own work. And also, just having the text online makes uh, it easier for Google to make it searchable. And so more people can come to the podcast that way. You know, folks who might be Googling about misophonia for the first time and are looking for stories to listen to. So that's what kind of drove me to finally get this Patreon going so that I can pay for accurate human-reviewed transcripts. And also, of course, I wouldn't mind covering the hosting and sending gifts out to listeners. A few amazing listeners have volunteered and transcribed some episodes, but I can't possibly expect people to do that for over 100 episodes now. All right, now here's my conversation with Michael. Welcome, Michael. Welcome to the uh, podcast. Happy to be here. Excellent. So um, you've got a little bit of an accent. Uh, curious, kind of, you know, want to let us know where, where you're located? Uh, New Zealand. Ah, oh, Auckland, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had anybody from uh, New Zealand. Maybe Australia, but uh, definitely not New Zealand. Cool. Um, and, and what do you do down there? Uh, I'm a BI analyst, which basically means I work with a lot of data. Um, yep, yep. Play, play a lot of sports, play a lot of chess. Yeah. Um, yeah, that keeps me keeps me entertained. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Cool. And uh and and are you yeah, what's is New Zealand in uh I don't want to stereotype them, are they in lockdown right now still? Or uh yeah, yeah. with the uh yeah. yeah tell, tell 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 me about yeah, what what's the situation now pandemic wise? Well, we're in our, our second major lockdown, um our third lockdown overall. Uh the Delta variant has arrived in our shores. Uh probably arrived about five weeks ago uh, and since then we've been in heavy restrictions and our case numbers relative um to most of the world are still very low but we're yeah. we're very conservative over here we got 11 cases today uh which is the lowest we've had in a while so 
okay. we're still hoping to to eliminate it for now, get vaccinated, and uh, and then yeah, in the future, I guess I guess we'll uh, learn to live with it. I suppose that's the plan. Yeah, yeah. And so, how's that? Uh, how have these lockdowns been for you in terms of your your living situation, work? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, most of my work is, well, all of my work is online. I can work from home mm-hmm. just as well as I can in the office. Um, getting a little bit bored, um, but I think I'm pretty lucky to be able to continue largely as normal. Right, right. Are you living with anyone at home? Like, are you being yeah, triggered? I, 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 <laughs> I live with seven people, so there's, well, six others, so there's plenty <laughs> of plenty of opportunities for uh, some triggers yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And those are all family or housemates uh, or vagabonds uh, and uh, hitchhikers? I live with uh, my girlfriend of three years and a bunch of friends. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, okay. So, yeah, all, all adults. Um, <clears throat> so do they know about your misophonia? It's not like, you know, they're kids where you have to, like, constantly remind them. It's These should be adults. And I'm curious well, what the different reactions are. I mean, my partner certainly knows about it. She's studying... She's studying clinical psychology, so uh, she has oh. quite an interest in, in, in that. Uh, the rest of my housemates, I would say, know about the symptoms. They know that I don't like certain things, um, but probably are unaware that it is is somewhat of an official condition. Yeah, okay. Um, I okay. haven't I haven't illuminated them too much. You haven't yeah. uh, eliminated you haven't eliminated your your uh, housemates too much, or you haven't. El- <laughs> illuminated uh, illumination oh, illuminated. Would be, uh, yeah. <laughs> not at that point yet <laughs> yeah not at that uh, point yet but uh, right. <laughs> gotcha okay okay um so okay inter- interesting okay so but you've, you've been learning to manage uh so yeah, well yeah i mean i guess um i don't know if i've had anyone who live with so many people I mean, let's maybe mm. start talking about some of the, the coping mechanisms you do for living in uh living in a place with uh quite a few other adults um, I'm lucky enough to have my own private space, a, a big room where I can kind of go away if it all gets too much. Um, but no, it's it, it's definitely has its challenges, but I think it's a good opportunity as well to like try to learn actual coping mechanisms rather than just running away from it. Um, there are some there are some loud eaters, there are some quiet eaters, uh, there are mm-hmm. some in between. Um, <laughs> yep. There are some subconscious whistlers. Uh, there's a, <laughs> there are a few, yeah. uh, a few yeah. things there, but I, I think overall it's actually been quite helpful for me. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Uh, you mean you mean the lockdown or or just, uh, no, just being just, with a bunch of people and, just, and being yeah. able to learn to cope? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess uh, it's kind of. Ex- I don't want to call it exposure therapy, but at least it, it, having that uh, private room gives you, at least tells your mind that you can escape somewhere. And uh, and when you want to come out, you're kind of consciously coming out and you can kind of maybe tell your brain to, you know, maybe expect some triggers, but then try to deal with it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I think exposure therapy is probably a good term for that, really. I mean, it's... Um, and to me, exposure therapy might just about be the most useful, um, most useful strategy that one can have. I mean, we all have our strategies to block it out and 
yeah, noise cancelling headphones, headphones and, and all these sorts of things. But ultimately, like to treat the problem, I, it seems intuitive to me that exposure therapy would be a, a good place to start. Yeah, batteries are going to run out of your noise cancelling headphones at some point. So they you are, get ready yeah. for it. Yeah, and you can't really take them to a restaurant. It looks a bit rude. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think most people, yeah, yeah many people. Many people probably don't care at that point. <laughs> they just carry them anyway. <laughs> but but you're right. It's not the most socially uh, um, pleasing thing. So no, um, especially when you're going with a uh, yeah with other people. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, interesting. And uh, I guess what, let's go back then to kind of early days for you. Um, you grew up in New Zealand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And how was uh, it? Uh, yeah. How was it growing up? Was it was it a typical kind of. Uh, family situations around you know late elementary school it was um she's re- really remember quite specifically uh, an instance where i was eating mcdonald's uh, this, this would have been 96 or 95 um so i would have been five or six years old and i was eating a hamburger and i hadn't progressed to cheeseburgers by that point and uh, my mom said stop eating with, with with your mouth open and i was just like what i mean how am i meant to do that i mean i've just i've barely got to grasp with eating and now i have to eat it with my mouth closed and so it i was like i was at a bit of a bit i was a bit mystified as to how to do this so i, I practiced eating with the mouth closed from there um mm. and you know within well, i don't know a week or so i feel like I'd, I'd mastered the art of of eating what i now saw as an art uh and then I remember at some future point observing children in the playground at lunchtime and seeing if they could eat with their mouth closed and just sort of like almost judging, but but I don't remember any kind of uh, emotional association. It was more just observing whether or not other kids could do this because mm. I guess I felt somewhat proud of the fact that I could do it. Um, and yeah, I don't remember at that point. I don't remember being triggered by these noises. Um, I still didn't really understand why it was better to eat with your mouth closed. Uh, but I just remember that it was something that I wanted to be able to do, probably to was make it just my the one parents proud. I guess. Yeah. Uh, were they repeatedly yeah. telling you that, or was it? Ah, uh, I mean, I, I, it's, it's yeah. I mean, obviously the memory fails uh, that long ago, but. I only tell me, remember Michael, one, tell me. Where, <laughs> one specific point is really what I remember. And I, I remember yeah. some subsequent times, but that was in later years when everything was already fully quite well developed. And um, so, yeah, it, it, it started with just this sort of observation. And then I would think by about uh, middle school, sort of 12, third, 11, 12, 13, uh, that's when I started to see it as more of a requirement of human behavior and so when mm. someone would do it then it began to annoy me and then the sound really began to bother me um so yeah the the, the actual typical uncomfortable misophonic symptoms didn't start till i was about 12 or 13 and then it just ah. grew from there yeah it turned and into this is all related to the eating i mean it could be maybe i'm yeah. post-rationalizing here but I, you know, you, you wonder what, what, I mean, that's all yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's as far as most you can get. So that's why mm. I'm, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're 
thinking about it very, very similar to, to most other people. I'm, I'm sure it's just interesting to think about that if that the the McDonald's incident kind of led maybe down this path or, or triggered or activated something inside you. We don't know what's what's going on per se, but yeah. uh, um, it, it's interesting that, yeah, like you said, you noticed uh, in other students the thing that you were, you kind of trained yourself to not do based on that mm. McDonald's incident and, and maybe some other ones. But uh, that's right. And then, and then did, did your, so did it, did it affect your school in any way, like uh, socially or academically? Well, certainly, certainly it did. Um, I even remember at another point I would have been in years, since I would have been 12. Um, I remember trying to write a, a story, some creative story, I guess. Um, and a kid behind me kept sniffing. Um, and this was, I guess, was my second trigger behind noisy eating was, was sniffing. Yeah. Um, and I just even remember getting so angry about it that I had to write it into my story. And, and my teacher read that. And then the, the next day or something, my teacher actually brought it up with the whole class and was like, this person's been complaining. And I think they're really right. I think sniffing's really rude. And people should, you know, try, try to keep that to a minimum. So I felt quite vindicated at this point as well. I was like, oh, yeah, see, I've got it right. Um, <laughs> and so that's, and then so obviously, from there it just got worse and by late high school it was if i had to go into an exam um and at university any exams mm. i would i would monitor where i was being set and looking for potential people that had colds or you know a runny nose you probably or something. had a list to run a list in your head of people it, who were yeah, was, most likely it, yeah that's right there does seem to be a trend there um and yeah, if if it was a if I was like, oh man, this person's clearly clearly ill, I, I would just ask to change seats. But it was, yeah, it was difficult in come exam times, feeling that your entire grade could be significantly impacted yeah. based on and something has, completely uh, outside of your a control. A domino effect, right? Right, that's a domino yeah. effect too. So, was that yeah. as far as the accommodations you tried to get? Is just try to move seats? Yeah, I mean, um, some people a, try to uh, some people try to like you know. Yeah, take the exam at a later time or date or whatever. But um, that's all but, I tried to do. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I guess I wasn't even that's aware. That's probably of honestly more than most. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah. So okay, well, it's interesting. Yeah, I was, uh, I was getting kind of worried when you were telling me that story of uh, the teacher bringing it up in class because it could have gotten, couldn't, could have gone different ways. <laughs> the teacher could have, you know, ridiculed maybe or maybe students would have heard it and then tried exactly. to like pick yeah. on you. So um, it yeah. seemed to not have gone those those ways. No, no, but it, it potentially did uh, yeah. reinforce my beliefs. Like, were you scared at first? Like what, what was going to happen? Or I don't, I don't remember being scared. Okay. I think I, I yeah. yeah, it was interesting did, that, that it was mentioned. Yeah. So, I mean, you, when you're doing exams, uh, like you said, you were, you know, very careful. Did it affect yeah. like who you were hanging out with generally? growing up no i don't i don't believe so okay. i mean i i would say that you know i've not typically had a large friend group i've been pre pretty uh um i've been pretty much to myself for for a decent amount of time but yeah. i don't remember 
been like, oh, I do like this person, but they have this terrible habit, therefore I, I can't hang out with them. I, I don't think it's impacted my relationships to that extent. Right, right. Yeah, if you're hanging, if you're living with a whole bunch of people, I, I'm assuming that uh, that mm. didn't suffer too much. <laughs> but mm. uh, but it's interesting. Yeah, we we but you know we we say it doesn't affect, but we do end up a lot. Many of us being a, a little bit more introverted. <laughs> So, um, seems to be a common theme. I mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Uh, introversion. Did you were you noticing um, like uh, visual triggers too growing up, or did that uh, come later? Uh, later, uh, if they were, if the visual triggers were in some way linked to the sound triggers, then they would become triggers. For example, if uh, I saw somebody um, tapping their foot or something like that. Um, the, the sound is what would irritate me, uh, but then I, I guess I started to associate the movement Association. Yeah. Um, with the sound, and so then that became a visual trigger. Um, there are a couple more people sort of biting their lips or um, clicking mm-hmm. pens and um, things like that. So yeah, it does. It has sort of seeped over into the and in, into some visual triggers as well. But and it's you don't want to go too much further. Eh? It's it can <laughs> really yeah. run rampant. I know. Did, did you? Uh, did you? So, what was your? Um, did you ever tell your parents? Like, did you ever tell anybody growing up that uh, something? Was I, I know. I know you didn't know what it was. It was phony, but yeah. I mean, it, again, I, I, I guess I would. I would tell almost everybody that was somewhat close to me, but mm. it. I think without that, without that sort of label, yeah. Um, it's it just whatever. Re- it just reduces yeah. to symptoms um, and, you know, just sort of personal, uh, I guess, niches. And people mm-hmm. are like, oh, well, that's interesting. It's actually a little bit funny. And maybe I'll even test it out by trying to eat loud yeah. right now. Because yeah. um, I'm so hilarious. So I will yeah. It, yeah right. <laughs> it's, uh, but I can't really, you know, I can't really expect anything more. Like, this, it's, not, it's not something that's well documented anywhere. So No. Yeah. And did your parents a uh, similar situation? They were they were just like, um, yeah, it's, it's uh, just it's just Michael's thing. Well, yeah, they would. A lot of it would they would agree with me, um, and then, but but when when it got beyond what they could really sympathize with, it would just sort of turn into like, oh, we'll just block it out, just ignore it. Yeah. Um, did your mom I, maybe yeah. ever have it? Because she was that one who. You know, twitching yeah. your mouth closed. I'm wondering if it was more of a manners, like a straight up manners thing, or was it a sound thing she was reacting to? Like, I, I don't, like, I don't think that, you know, even people without misophonia, I think if you ask most people, they say, yeah, the, the sound of eating is kind of gross. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not really unusual to find that sound gross. What's unusual is to the emotional baggage that it's people with misophonia carry with the person, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 judging other people for the noises that they are making, yeah. and seeing it as some kind of violation. Um, so I'm not good. Yeah, I don't think either my parents have it, but they've that they would agree that loud eating yeah. is is just poor form. What about the relationships? Did it affect relationships, or did it take uh, being with a clinical psychologist to uh, finally? <laughs> <laughs> to make a connection. Uh, I, I guess it... Or it, you don't have to go... To <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just always bring no, that up because it affects I mean, people. <laughs> yeah. No, it affects, I think, probably every relationship to a degree. Um, it's, it's hard to get around. Uh, everybody makes noises. Um, mm-hmm. 
but no, I don't think it's ever been a massive hurdle in that sense yeah. for me. It's just something yeah. that I have to work on myself. Um, I don't, yeah, I really try to be careful about yeah. about blaming others, and I really try to keep it as my problem. And and did you did you do you, uh, like those um, those strategies uh, trying to keep it uh, trying to keep it as your problem? Are those things uh, you've kind of just thought on your own? Did you have you ever pursued like a therapist to kind of like help you work on that stuff? Or curious um, how uh, how you thought how I, you came came to those? I think it's uh, I've never had any therapy for it. Um, I think it's just through experience of uh, of noticing what helps and what doesn't and i even think when i learned that misophonia was a thing um i don't know if that helped me i i, I mm. think it potentially was like oh see um there's actually nothing i can do about this um uh, mm. this is a problem that's been cast upon me um and so it it's it lends itself to more of a you know, more of like a victim thing um, yeah. which I think, which I think, you know, I'm a little bit worried about going forward with, with misophonia becoming more of a, of a label that's thrown around. Um, I think there's tremendous benefits that come with that. I mean, it enables research and understanding, but you know, the, the risk it carries is that you can shift that responsibility away from yourself and something that you can actually manage. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I just noticed the more I, the more I labelled myself with misophonia, the the worse it would get. Um, mm. And and so yeah, it, it's it's just I guess through that through those experiences, I've tried to at least just make it my problem. That's a really interesting point. That's there's this kind of unknown fine line that we're still not sure about. Like is more, oh yeah, you're right. More awareness is good, but are we now? Anytime we get triggered, are we just like, okay, that's my chronic misophonia kind of thing. I can't do anything about it. Uh, versus, would we have maybe put in a little bit more effort to try to um, deal with the situation? Maybe not yeah. overcome it completely, but at least get a little bit further. That's an interesting point. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very, it's very tempting to to believe that you know, if it, if only it was better understood then my problems yeah. would go away, but, but they won't. It's still going to be awful, uh, even if everybody knows what it is. Um, when did you find out well, that it had a name and how? Um, I think that I was researching Asperger's, which is actually not a, an Asperger's official term anymore. It yeah. in, uh, in the United States, at least. Yeah, <laughs> I think. yes, I'm not, I'm not sure what the official pronunciation is there, but... Uh, I'll stick with Asperger's and yeah, it, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I, I was researching that, and it's something that some um, psychologists had hinted at me that that I had, um, and I started to sort of see one of the symptoms was sort of uh, sensitive to auditory stimulus. I was like, oh well, mm. that that's me, um, mm -hmm. and from there I found out about misophonia and. I was like, oh man, look, all my problems are solved. <laughs> mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, it, yeah, it just gives you a temporary relief for feeling understood, I think. Um, but ultimately, yeah, the, the yeah reality is. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, a lot of us that we hear about it and we're like Googling all night and then we wake up and we're like, okay, 
I still don't know what to do about this. Yeah. Um, well, you're at an interesting age because I've had a, 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 a more than one person recently you even uh, talked to where they were like they you know they would notice it growing up and then there was like a 10 year period like from about 18 on into their 20s where it didn't really bother them and then it suddenly exploded like in their late 20s onwards it oh. sounds like um doing the math quickly that you're probably around 30 so um yeah. i'm wondering if have you noticed um was it a steady thing for you did it ever dip as you kind of like uh, got some freedom after college um and then come back i'm just curious how that arc went nope i would say it's been steadily on the incline mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but has tailed off i would say i don't think it's got much worse over the last uh, four or five years. Um, so you're in a misophonic plateau right now. Yeah, it's a good place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, not too many new triggers have come up. Uh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's all, it's, it seems to be under control, but not really getting better. I still do hope that with, um, continued exposure therapy, I'm going to call it, um, I can start to sort of try to disassociate, uh, with between these sounds and, mm-hmm. and the disdain that I feel for whoever is making that sound yeah Um, yeah it's going to be a challenge right and that just how does the disdain manifest itself like what what do you what do you what do you do do you have to leave a situation do you give the death glare do you ever bring it up like uh hey you know get the voice of your Uh, mom in your head and just tell them to eat with their mouth closed yeah i think i've already brought it up i think i've only shared uh an, an outburst once, which was oh, at, a, yeah. in a, at a library at university. I oh. think just that given the fact it was a library, I, I somehow felt that I was entitled to to mm. uh, to really have a go at this person for eating an apple. Um, but other than that, it's it's just internal suffering, really. I I don't remember. I mean, sometimes with my with my girlfriend, I might sort of say, oh man, you're, you're yawning a lot today or, um, yeah, just, just yeah, things is that, under, an underrated trigger. Yeah. Yeah. Things <laughs> that just sort of things that yeah, so it's, it seeps out, I guess, in my language a bit, but I, I, yeah. I don't think that I have had any outbursts other than that one. Um, but yeah, it's typically just, um, go away. If I really feel it overwhelming, I'll go away. And that takes a while itself, you know, because you, you go away and you're away from all the triggers, but, they're still playing in your mind. You can still kind of hear them. Right. There's that uh, recovery period, which people have found different ways to come back from, from medication down to, I don't know, meditation and, or just, yeah, listening to something else and and coming back. Um, Do you, you just kind of, do you just kind of go away and do, what do you, what do you tell yourself? Do you just kind of wait to give yourself some time? Um, I try to, yeah. I guess I try when I go away, I, I either go and put some headphones on and get some different noises into me, um, which is probably the treatment I'm not the most proud of. Um, on a good day, I would go away and try to actually listen to the sounds that I was hearing. Because um, I think it, when you are in a room, for example, full of people that are, are, are eating badly or slipping their tea, um, it's you have there are to, there seem to be two main options it's either you leave or you try to ignore the sounds 
and I think both of them really just play into the avoidance strategy. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, what has been the most effective is to try to listen to the sounds, yeah, but try not to judge people for them. Try to kind of welcome those sounds, almost take more of like a mindful approach to them. Um, it's not realistic to be able to block them out, I don't think. Right. Yeah. No, that's an interesting point. We, we, I think a lot of us naively think that, hey, yeah, we'll just we'll block it out. Here comes that sound again. Let's just block it out. But it's right. It's, you're not really conditioning yourself any better. Um, it, yeah. That's interesting that you're kind of, it seems like you're cautiously trying to welcome the sounds and, and with the hope that maybe that you can just become a, a used to it. Is that kind of what you're going for or just kind of deal with it? To me, yeah, to me, it's about like, because I, I don't believe that misophonia is something you're born with. Uh, I mean, maybe research in future years will prove me totally wrong mm -hmm. on that. Uh, I do think it's something that is forged through these associations. So, you know, you, you as I said before, most people find some, some sounds uncomfortable. And most of them tend to, like eating, it tends to be an annoying sound for most people, but they don't make that association between that sound and disdain for the person making it uh, right. and judgment and, and all these this sort of violation um, and somehow I guess for some with misophonia I think that they repeat this this these thought processes of hear sound attribute that sound to somebody judge that person for making that sound and from there, if you do that for long enough, I think that just become almost become automatic to the point where any sound you hear, you start to feel that hatred. Um, and I guess my goal of trying to listen to the sound and welcome it is to break those bonds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you were asking before, like, what are some patterns that I've heard? Uh, well, I mean, we'll get some of the research um, that's in, in its early phases. But yeah, I mean, some kind of early quote unquote trauma. I mean, trauma is kind of a loaded word. Uh, well, it's, it's, I don't know, I don't know if loaded is an offensive thing to say, but like, it's, 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 it sounds strong, but even things like, uh, you know, a parent, um, telling you to act a certain way, kind of surprising you, that could be something that begins an association that maybe gets reinforced, like you were saying, like over and over. And then, um, your brain starts to make some irrational associations. Um, that's something that comes up a lot is like, uh, there was, there was no problems until something happens, a death in the family, uh, a very angry parent, um, parent making a loud sound, not maybe not out of anger, but like clapping their hands really quickly, rubbing their hands together, um, every yeah, morning. Yeah. Uh, so, um, that's, you know, a, a, quite a varied, um, uh, but there's some kind of overlap between these experiences that uh, I've heard a lot over and over. Um, not everybody, but uh, or walking on eggshells when, uh, you know, um, a baby is born kind of thing. So there's there's like, uh, yeah, there's there's some there's an interesting kind of uh, pattern um, that 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 thread, I would say, that kind of is across a lot of these experiences. Yes, it seems to be a memory and then it gets built upon and it just... Mm -hmm. It can it can spiral. Um, I Did hope to siblings? never get to the siblings yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, who, uh, from memory, has a she has a real aversion to loud eating as well, but it just doesn't seem to have ever got beyond that. 
She's not going to go on a Miss Funny podcast and talk about it or anything. It's just, no, uh, it's, just it's just a slight aversion, but yeah, maybe not Miss Phonia. Right. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, how would you explain misophonia to someone that doesn't have it? Have you tried to do that before? I mean, I, I guess, yeah, you think that I'd have like a, my elevator pitch down. Somebody asked me on a recent episode too, but I call it, I mean, I call it uh, a disorder that uh, in where um, I have, a, you know, I get, I have an irrational sensitivity to certain sounds, usually related, usually like things like eating, chewing, sniffling. So all the ear, ear, ear um, mouth, nose, throat kind of sounds. Um, and then I try to, as quickly as I, you know, as, as soon as I can point out that, you know, this is not, you know, not like a, most people find annoying. This is like a fight or flight uh, sensation where I cannot think about anything else. I have to either leave or I want to either leave or, you know, burst out in some kind of like you did at the library. Um, so that's kind of, and then, then I got to pause and see what the person's going to, uh, you know, see what they think. Cause at that point it's like, um, you know, it's pretty obvious if they're going to give a crap or not and, uh, just kind of go from there. But I usually yeah. don't ever, honestly, that, but most, it's usually theoretical cause I usually just take the flight situation. <laughs> I mean, especially in the last year and a half when, you know, we've been socially distanced for so long. It's like, uh, haven't really needed, haven't really been around people outside of the house for uh, for too long. So um, I'll have to re, re I'll dust off my notes <laughs> when uh, when I'm fully immersed in, uh, in society. Yeah, I would explain it in a similar way, actually. It's very much a, it's, it's, it's an instinct rather than a thought process it's not like just oh that sounds really annoying it, it is something that hits you before you can even think about it yeah um, i i think i've likened it to being cut off in traffic um and you, you know see you see the road rage that people get you know, yeah. all around the world and pe people say things and do things that they would never do in a, in, in regular life. Yeah. But when they're in their car, it's like their entire character changes. And someone, really cutting off, yeah, yeah. someone cutting off in traffic can incite that sort of rage, even though you know that this person made a mistake. More often than not, they just made a mistake. You can't help but feel that instinctive feeling that in some way they've wronged you. Um, and that, to me, is the closest thing that I can describe to someone that doesn't have misophonia yeah that's a really interesting analogy because uh, when you first said that i was like oh it's not like that wait a minute but yeah I mean, we have this kind of common thing where people are very um judgmental when they're in the car um yeah because they they think that uh maybe it's because they see the other person in the same metal box that they're the kind of box that they're in so they think everyone's kind of tuned out when we're all yeah. uh, just look like we're tuned out that's really interesting yeah hmm. it's it, yeah i think it's like if somebody cuts you off in traffic it it feels like there's some sort of violation of your safety and then that person yeah. has endangered you and which gives you that flight or fight or flight response obviously and i think misophonia it's it's like the, some sort of violation of your auditory sense and it gives you that same kind of like trigger just like this is this is wrong maybe it's um, part of maybe it's no I'm, I'm starting 
you know, get into Mr. Uh, speculation mode, but maybe it's, uh, this part of, you know, humans are, we're just living so close together a lot faster than maybe we were able to adapt to. And maybe it's part of, uh, we are, our evolution is maybe not caught up to this. Uh, right. Yeah. Certainly cars are technology that maybe we just haven't adapted to. I know, you know, most people have not adapted to social media. So that's a whole <laughs> other thing too. So, you know, between these three, yeah, that's an interesting idea that um, that maybe it's a uh, is it we're just we just haven't been able to uh, evolve fast enough to the you know the reality of our uh, modern life, and that sounds like a cliche, but <laughs> in this case, there's a, there's that thread across these uh, the road rage and, and the misophonia that maybe we haven't really fully explored. Yeah, I think that definitely plausible uh, it's there's a couple of things to no, me that's that, uh, it i've solved it i'm gonna hang up and, and yeah we're done, done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i there are a couple of things that was phony which to me suggest it's more of a a social problem and a conditioning problem rather than you know something that you're just born with um f- yeah for example one of those things is that it tends to develop in early adolescence which tends to be around the age that you develop expectations of others outside of yourself um Mm. also it's very suspicious to me that almost all initial triggers are human sounds and the sound of a dog eating is i think from any objective stance is more disgusting than the sound of a human eating i mean they're way louder Mm -hmm. way Mm -hmm. sloppier but it doesn't annoy me and it doesn't annoy most people with misophonia so there has, what can that possibly mean? Um, to me, it has to be that there is some sort of expectation and standards mm-hmm. around it. If so, <laughs> that can only really be forged through uh, social conditioning. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, when I've thought about the the whole n- nature versus nurture of of kind of thought that uh, maybe there's something about your nature that makes you more susceptible, but then something that happens that activates it. You know, if you put a gun to my head or a, or a trigger to my head, I'd be like, it's probably, yeah, maybe probably more, I'd lean more towards the social conditioning. Though a lot of the research has been so focused on the neurological stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm hoping that there's a wider, maybe a different disciplines that'll start to look at this more and come yeah, to that I- consensus. It'll be interesting to see like those neurological studies replicated but in throughout the the span of of one's life because yes Mm. you might see differences in certain regions of the brain but that doesn't that can happen through social exposure you know that that, it's not just necessarily nature that you were born with um yeah the the current research might just be looking at the are severely damaged in <laughs> 30 year old, 40 year old brains. When yeah, the effects rather than the cause. Yeah. Right, right. But I think I you're undoubtedly right. It's, it's, it's invariably like all of these nature versus nurture things, uh, some sort of in- interplay between the two. Yeah, because I mean, if, well, if you get first principle, nature is nurture and vice versa. It's we're all yeah. just the same. <laughs> we're all organisms and uh, um, playing against each other. Um, interesting. Okay. Maybe the switch gears. I, I did want to uh, hear maybe more uh, mundane stuff, but like when you come out of lockdown, are you going back to an office uh, or are you kind of staying from home? Staying going, from back, home? going back to an office, um, 
pretty flexible. We can do we can do yeah. some days from home, um, some days in the office, probably two three days a week in the office, the rest from home. Um, but I'll bring my noise cancelling head- headphones, and I tend to play airplane noises while I work. Okay. Okay. Mm, mm, Boeing seven four seven, I believe they're old and loud. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about uh, right the uh, what's the uh, best airplane. I, I just uh, I was a big Star Trek: The Next Generation uh, fan, and uh, on a recent uh, interview, somebody told me that you can you can hear like the uh, Starship Enterprise engines on repeat for like ten hours on YouTube. <laughs> so oh, nice! Yeah, I was like, oh man, I used to watch that show all the time. It's actually therapeutic on a couple different levels. So um, that's kind of my new new go-to um and and you, at work you haven't really told anybody have you or um no no I, just kind I, of deal I, with it yeah yeah i guess i am lucky enough to have a role that is pretty much you know just me in my corner um so yeah. it doesn't affect anything too much um people yeah. i suspect that people might find it a bit rude um, but nobody's ever said anything to me about it if they did then i would tell them yeah. Have you met anybody else who, who has it or, or is this, this is all from your own personal experience and what you've read online? Uh, I think you're the first person I've spoken to that, that clearly has it. Um, yeah. It, it's just some other people that show some symptoms of it, but there seems to be some line, um, where it, it becomes quite clear whether <laughs> yeah. one has it yeah, or not. Yeah, isn't it? Right. Yeah. There is, because, yeah. It's it's interesting. It's I don't know if it's the tone of it's, sometimes it's they it's obvious in what they say, but sometimes it's just the the tone of how people say. It. Uh, you can kind of tell that uh, no, theirs is more like a um, off and on annoyance versus yeah. You know, I think yeah, it's more more often than not like a, a, your eyes would just would go wide open. <laughs> and yeah, you can yeah, see their life flash 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 in their eyes. Like, oh, I totally get that too. It's really annoying mm-hmm. when somebody runs their nails down a chalkboard. It's like, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> right, right. One of those cliches. Yeah. So yeah, interesting. Okay, okay. Um, and yeah, are you? Um, I guess going forward. So your your plan? Yeah, I'm just curious about kind of your plan. You you know, you're still pretty young, around thirty. Like your plan going forward is just kind of like keep trying to. Um, uh, avoid when you need to, but experience, try to experience and, and cope um, when when you can. Yep. That's kind of your, I mean, your go-to. Yeah, yeah. I think it's unrealistic just to be like, oh, well, I'm just going to you know, suffer and, and put myself through constant exposure in the hope of getting better. I mean, you have to, I think, find some sort of balance. Uh, I mean, I will sleep with headphones probably for the rest of my life um mm. I would be why very is, that? Su- is that is that because your is your girlfriend snore or i'm curious oh, why? no no pretty quiet sleeper but you know everybody yeah. heavy breathes when they sleep um it's just no one is a perfectly quiet sleeper um right, right, right. And, gotcha. and and i'll just put on well i have these uh sort of they're called uh acoustic sheeps they're like uh bands it's like a, a woolen yeah. bands that you put around your head it's quite it's yeah. quite warming there's something comforting about it as well <laughs> so that's been and, pretty and good do they and are they bluetooth or do they play something yeah one thing they're, 
they're Bluetooth. You you just put it, hook it up to your phone. They're not perfect. If you have if you have a chronic snorer um, that you're sleeping next to, I would not recommend them. You need something right, that actually right. goes into your ears as well. Right. You need your own bedroom. But, um, yeah, 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 listen, if you're lucky enough. Uh, but yeah, so I, I guess I'm probably ex- resigned to the fact that I'll always stick with headphones. Um, uh, maybe the best I could hope for is not having to work with headphones. But at the moment in my life, I've, I, I will work with headphones. I'll sleep with headphones. Other than that, I will try to expose myself um, as much as I can, can, can take on a given day. Um, right. Yeah. So that's sort of the rules I have for myself. And I wanted to ask. Uh, I don't think I've spoken to anyone from New Zealand. Like, what is the uh, like? How would you, or would you, um, um, describe the? I don't know the the misophonia. Um, well, I guess you don't know anyone else who has it, but I'm just curious. Like, you know, if a misophone was going to go to New Zealand, is it generally a pretty? Um, understand like quiet place on that level but also like in terms of mental health in general is it pretty open accepting um i'm just curious what uh, new zealand's like for miss films um hard to compare when i've i've um, only lived in new zealand and australia um yeah so it, yeah it's, it's tough for me to say what would say an american would, would would experience um i mean it's a pretty quiet place the population density is very low. Um, yeah, it's people tend to speak fairly quietly. Um, I, mm-hmm. I will note. I will notice if there is. Uh, it's no offence meant here, but I'll notice if there is an American or a Canadian in the room mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they tend to speak a lot louder than New Zealanders mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that that bodes well for me. Um, I'm actually both it, American and Canadian, so I'm probably extra loud. Uh, brutal combo. <laughs> Uh, another uh, another common thing with your guest seems to be a nice soft voice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I um, turn the volume down when I when I mix, so make sure you're clear. <laughs> uh, it, it, in terms of openness, I I think we 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 do pretty well on that front. I I rarely feel that. My, De- yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, healthcare is definitely uh, um, top of mind. It seems if you're going to yeah. lockdown immediately. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty good with that kind of stuff. I think it's obviously a lot easier when you have a fairly homogenous culture and very, uh, you know, only, right. only right. under five million population. It's can, yeah, can and then a bunch of mountains. People, <laughs> yeah, getting people on the yeah. same page isn't isn't as hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, I mean, yeah, we're we're getting close to close to an hour, fifteen minutes in. Um, anything else you wanna you wanna share with the uh, yeah, we've had a lot of good insights. Anything else you want to share with folks who are, who are listening in? Well, I, I think for me, I believe that if you Google misophonia, well, the definition will come up with a, a literal hatred of sounds. And I'm not so sure that that's the case. I, I think that sounds can be triggers and they can be annoying, but I think that's normal for most of the population. I think misophonia just carries something more and that's judgment of who or what is making that sound and i think that's what's make makes it really hard to listen to it's it's not the sounds that are annoying you it's the hatred that you feel when you hear those sounds and to try to separate those two things is um worthwhile i think and i will continue to try my best to do that 
yeah, you're right. The hatred of sound is just a dumb reduction of mm. the simpl simplification, even though misdefining literally, I think, means that. But uh, yeah, it's not quite that. In fact, uh, one of the, you know one of the lead researchers at Kumar's group is wants to look at. Um, she's convinced that there are also sounds that might give us the opposite sensation, and she wants to try to, I believe. Well, we were kind of riffing on the podcast, like. Um, Make, can, can we, you know, generate ear, um, headphones or earbuds that, I know you won't like this because it's masking stuff, but, um, you know, earbuds that kind of, you know, in real time replace a trigger with something that you like and maybe, you know, in some ways cancel things out. I don't know, they were just speculating on stuff, but uh, it's not, yeah, it, hatred of sound is an oversimplification. <laughs> yeah. kind of what I was trying to say. Um, I, I agree with you there. Okay. We're, we're more yeah. complicated than that. <laughs> I think um, so. But also not all that all that um, unique, you know. It's not like yeah, misophones are the only ones that have aversions to sounds. I mean, just every right. pretty much everybody does, and it, that's that's normal. It's, you have to try to pick apart what, what isn't normal mm -hmm. and try to work mm -hmm. on that. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, um, yeah, Michael, thanks for thanks for coming on, and uh, yeah, it's actually a lot of food for thought here. So. Um, yeah, good, good things to think about. Hopefully, people uh, enjoy enjoy yeah enjoy that and love to hear more more what people think. But uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. That's been great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Really interesting stuff there. I'm curious to hear what people think about uh, facing triggers and, and trying to build up some resistance. If you like this episode, don't forget uh, to leave a quick review or just hit the five stars wherever you listen to this podcast. You can hit me up by email at hello at misappointingpodcast.com or go to the website, misappointingpodcast.com. It's actually even easier if you follow us on Instagram at misappointingpodcast or Facebook. And on Twitter, it's misophonia show. Don't forget, you can now support the show by visiting the Patreon at patreon.com slash misappointingpodcast. Music, as always, is by Moby. And until next week, wishing you peace and quiet.